Hello, everybody. Welcome to Behind the Movement. I'm Kyle Fincham, and this is the very first episode of 2022, and my conversation is with Agat Philby. I'm super excited to share this with you. We recorded just before New Year's, and I've been looking forward to putting it out ever since. Um, so we'll get to that here very, very quickly. First things first, I want to thank everybody who was at the Kinetic Playground five-day movement summit in Boulder, Colorado this past week. Um, every single person was amazing to connect with. Um, I, I was fortunate to get to take pretty much all of the classes and was uh, inspired and, and, and moved by, by so many of the things that were being presented. And it was an amazing experience to take classes from people, many of them who I've had on the podcast and had conversations with, who I'd never gotten to meet in person and, and take their classes. So that was exciting. Um, it was a, a incredible to get to, to play and practice alongside so many wonderful movers and groovers. Um, so yeah, the whole event was amazing. I can't I can't say enough thanks to everybody. Um, the biggest thanks goes out to Block Seventeen Fifty for organizing it. Leah Woods, um, this was her her big project, and it and it came together in such a beautiful way. So you know, a huge thank you to her and and everybody who worked alongside her to help bring um, everyone out for the event, like um, Kim. Amonqua, Winston, Link, Marlo Fiskin, um, and then all the local people who were also teaching, like Wendy Canal, Alicia Grayson. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really uh, such a special event. I'm, I'm missing so many names, but um, y'all know who you are. Can't wait to do it again. Can't wait to see you all again very soon. It was a a, a really special week, and. Yeah. Amazing. And now we are back in New York City. Um, we're starting this weekend. I will be doing 10 Saturdays of two-hour infinite play jams in a different New York City park every week. Um, really looking forward to it. it. starts this weekend. It goes all the way until March 19th, I believe, is the last one. Um, each week we'll be announcing what park will be in the following week. Um, this week we'll be in, in Brooklyn to get it rolling. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great time. This uh, weekend is going to be exceptionally chilly, so I just spent a uh, part of the day digging out all my, uh, my winter clothes to be, able to, uh, to be able to go jam in the proper attire. Um, but yeah. I think it's going to be a, a, a special time if you're in New York or if you're traveling through New York or you feel like coming to New York. I would love to see you there. Um, if you want to sign up, you can just go to my website, kylefincham.com, and click on the Infinite Play page, and, and all the details and everything you need to know is right there. So looking forward to it. Everybody who's going to be there, can't wait. I will see you very soon. All right. So let's get to it. As I said, my conversation this week is with Agat Philby, and um, 
a number of people recommended I speak to a guy. The first one was Samantha Emanuel and then uh, Tiago Martins. Both of them sent me messages recommending her. And um, I quickly emailed and she responded even quicker, accepting my invitation. And I'm so happy that we, we made it happen because it was so incredible to hear her story. And I feel moved and inspired in a lot of ways by, by everything she shared. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to get to share this episode with you. Um, let me give you just some of her background, but um, you'll hear a lot more in the conversation. Agat is a movement teacher based in Paris. After sustaining 12 fractures in a life-changing accident in 2015, she entered a five-year rehabilitation process that led her to experience and explore movement from scratch. She went from teaching traditional Ashtanga yoga pre-accident to exploring a wide range of movement practices with the central goal and obsession of recovering a fully healthy body. She is now back to working as an educator and considers it her mission to share with her students what her personal journey towards healing has taught her. Through the learning process of a movement practice, she helps her students build freedom and resilience for the body and the mind. Curiosity, love of life, and an open-mindedness are a constant background for her classes. As I said, um, this was a really special conversation. Um, and again, I'm super honored that she, she, she gave me so much of, um, her time and, and was really generous with her wisdom. So I won't waste any more of your time. This is it. My conversation with Agat Philby. Like most Parisians, I, I arrived, I was, um, 20, about 20 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up uh, closer to the, um, the the French Alps in the mountains, close to the to Italy, that area. So um, pretty much uh, much closer to nature and the uh, open spaces. But I do like Paris a lot. I like it. I like the energy, the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. um, I miss nature, but I like uh, the city as well. And what what brought you to Paris? Um, studying at first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i arrived to study and then work okay like again like really a lot of uh i would say i don't know 75 percent of parisians actually you know didn't grow up there and just arrived to either study or work or both mm -hmm. and then end up just staying because the the roots yes because the, then you make friends and it's you know you have all your environment over there and then the work opportunities are mm -hmm. much much bigger there as well so unless you take a like a, a strong decision to move out and to go back to somewhere else mm -hmm. usually you you tend to stay for a while uh, at least until you have two kids then <laughs> <laughs> right you get you have the two kids then you want to go back to the mountains right yeah yeah and and what were you studying at the time huh. <laughs> um i I studied a lot of things. Um, I started um, after high school uh, in a very um, philosophy and literature mm -hmm. uh, background for uh, quite intensively for two years. Um, so a lot of, yeah, uh, English, uh, lit French literature, um, philosophy, a lot, history. Mm -hmm. So very, yes, literaire. 
we mm -hmm. call it. And uh, then um, after that, I had a huge exam and it's, a, it's very much the French system. But anyways, you enter what they call a, a huge school and it was a management school in my mm -hmm. case. So I switched from that to management and business, which I hated. Mm -hmm. And then I became a photographer and then I became a yoga teacher. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I'm just making it very short. <laughs> yeah. What, what were you doing yoga? at the time and then it kind of led you into teaching exactly yeah i practiced yoga for a while years um and uh you know i was very much into a lot of uh, intellectual studies and uh and uh and schools and uh my practice was very much in the brain the whole time books and uh, which i loved but mm -hmm. um i at some point i felt also because growing up in the mountains i always had a physical practice as well Mm -hmm. And at some point, I felt that I needed my first occupation to be more with my body. And uh, not only in the background as a hobby, but it was my nature to make it my life, my job, and what I was studying. So I transitioned. Uh, it was a difficult process because it's, in my family, it's not very well, it's not very common. You know, it, there's, it's a lot about books and mm -hmm. not so much about the body. What, what kind of yoga were you doing? Um, in the beginning, I, I tried a lot of uh, different styles, but in the end, I was really practicing and teaching Ashtanga yoga. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So the traditional Mysore style, early uh -huh. morning, self-practice uh, kind. Right. And your parents were like, ugh, like what is going on here? Uh, at that point, they understood uh, already that, you know, my path would be different. Um, mm -hmm. It's more a little bit some years before when I started to say, you know, that I'm I wasn't I just wasn't simply happy in the books only and in this mental only space. Mm -hmm. um, so they had understood already uh, that my path would shift uh, compared to what they had done and uh, maybe what my brother was doing. Or, mm -hmm. And so they knew I was a little bit different. <laughs> well, I see, though, like, you know, the the bridge from that kind of we'll call it the kind of academic space. And, and even like kind of like the philosophical academic space to yoga is yeah. not that big of a jump if you know to me absolutely you know? absolutely and uh, any I think any physical practice uh, can be I mean all of my teacher have been whether their practice was yoga or something else they have this philosophical you know mm -hmm. parts in what they share and what they practice and it's a reflection as well so mm. I agree, it's, the gap is not that big. It's just that on a lifestyle, social level, it's, it's a transition. And especially for at the time for my family or, it, or for myself as well, you know, to decide, mm. okay, it's still there, but not in the same way. And I, I do want to use my body in what I'm doing every day. Mm -hmm. But I agree, in the end, the connection is there. Yeah, I mean, there's so, I mean, I think I... I think I've read like uh, the Yoga Sutras and, and then Upanishads. And I always mess up the name, but the, is it the Bhagavad, Bhagavad Gita? Bhagavad Gita. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are philosophy books, really. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's so Absolutely. close. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, any good yoga teacher will have a strong interest in the philosophical roots of mm -hmm. yoga because it's nothing else. It's a, it's a practice and it's a way of thinking. It's a philosophy. It's, it's mm -hmm. a study of the texts as mm -hmm. well. So 
it's um, completely integrated in, uh, in the practice, yes. Mm -hmm. And then what, what led you kind of, I guess, into the next step, which is, or I'm sure there were steps in between, but from kind of the, the, the world of yoga to the world of movement or something uh, mm -hmm. broader? Mm -hmm. uh, a car accident. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, uh, in my case, uh, really uh, an accident. Um, I, I wasn't in the car. The, the guy who hit me was in the car. I was on a bike. So in my case, it was a bike accident. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yes, I was uh, mostly um, before this, this day. In the, that was uh, six years ago, 2015. So six years ago, exactly, almost exactly. Um, I was teaching Ashtanga, practicing Ashtanga. I had my teacher, my studio. Everything was completely settled and revolved around uh, that practice, which mm -hmm. I loved and felt really well, you know, um, doing and sharing. And then uh, I got hit by a car and I had a 12 uh, bone fracture. So um, I started a recovery process that led me to five years later. <laughs> you know? Wow. Was, yeah, a very, very long, um, long process. And I had to, you know, relearn to just walk and sit as well, sit on, uh, on the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. um, so I started from scratch completely, like the, you know, reboot, <laughs> mm -hmm. physical and mental. So from there, uh, the door started to close at first and then they reopened, but they all, as, all, as usual in these cases, they reopened in a different way and on different worlds. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, I'm so curious if it's okay, can I ask some questions sure, about the, yeah. the, you know? Um, so when you were on the other side of this, this accident, mm -hmm. you couldn't walk or anything. No, I had, um, so the fractures that I had were, which I was lucky. I have to say they were quite everywhere on my body. So mm -hmm. from the neck to ankles, mm -hmm. and that included as well, my spine and my pelvis. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you have several fractures, even just one uh, in, the, in your pelvic uh, area, uh, you have to stay in bed because as soon as you sit or walk, the bone structure will be moving. It's not like you can cast it, you know, you have to stay lying down. So the first thing that I did was to just stay almost close to two weeks uh, on my back mm -hmm. in a bed wow. before trying to relearn to walk and stand up and sit and all that. So this is very tough mentally, mm -hmm. physically, because the pain you get from uh, being immobile mm -hmm. are very strong. You know, the skin is not made to touch a structure 24 hours a day. We are made to have blood circulating and all right. of the things, you know. So, so you lose a lot of weight, uh, a lot of muscle, and uh, the structure becomes completely made for lying down. And then once the bone was consolidated, at least enough, I could start sitting, um, relearning. You know what they do? They, you are lying on a table, they tie you to the table and then like degree by degree, they make you uh, more vertical. So uh, the first day you're gonna be 10 degrees mm -hmm. verticalized and then the next day, 20 degrees. And then you pass out because your body forgot how mm -hmm. to not be lying. Mm -hmm. So it takes several weeks before you can even sit uh, and be fine on a wheelchair. Wow. And, and, and from there, you went into kind of like a, was it like a traditional therapy setting? 
yes, to, start was, to start rehabilitating? Yes, it was a rehab rehab center or um, how you call it, uh, surrounded by physiotherapists. Uh-huh. Indeed, and I was hospitalized as well because I, I didn't have any autonomy. So I had to spend a few weeks more uh, with my room and people, you know, taking care of me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I stayed, I think, close to a month. Uh, so the first two months were like really like hospital based, let's say, or the first mm-hmm. month and a half. And then one more month, uh, in that rehab center full time, mm-hmm. physiotherapy, everything. And mm-hmm. then I could go to my parents' home because I still wasn't able to handle myself in my own place on my mm-hmm. own. Wow. And <clears throat> when, when you left kind of, I, I guess what it, what what uh, abilities were you when you went to your parents' house? Uh, very good question. Um, sometimes I think I don't remember, but if I make an effort, <laughs> I will remember. Because <laughs> the brain is, is very, very good at erasing uh, parts of uh, these, um, these years. You know, I have a lot of uh, gray areas. Mm-hmm. But I can I can remember if I, I have <laughs> I have a friend who said one of the magic. I how did he say it? He said one of the things that we can do that's really magical is forget. Right, mm. our ability to forget is I agree can be like a, a powerful tool. It is a very powerful protective uh, tool. Um, sometimes I feel frustrated because I feel some parts of my life are missing. Uh, in my memories, but I do know it's for a reason, you know, and it's protection and it's uh, to save the psyche. So, um, so it's, it's very, very important that we have this ability, even though sometimes I feel like some pieces are missing and it pisses me off. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, so the, what I, you know, I had crutches, uh, two of them for sure. And I was sitting most of the time and sleeping. So even walking around on crutches was exhausting. So what you have, you know, it's 12 fractures. It's not like one plus one plus one. It's like the whole body just needs to rest mm-hmm. for a very long time, long time. And now I know it. And I think if I had known what I know now, I would have spent even more time just sleeping and not worrying about the rehab, the movements and stuff. There's a lot of sleeping, eating, and just doing nothing that is needed. So that's basically what I was doing for Mm -hmm. weeks. But I I had two crutches, lots of pain, and um, just surviving for a while. Mm -hmm. So then what were the kind of like the the baby steps or like the initial kind of walks? So what I decided, pretty early and that I owe to my yoga experience is that I would not uh, spend so much time on physiotherapy tables, um, supported and doing leg exercises, lifting and dropping the legs and stuff like that, because it was, first of all, it was very depressing to me. Mm-hmm. And I was already into a quite deep depression. So the mind also needed some relief. So mm-hmm. what I did was that I spent so much time just on the floor. So I went to the gym and just lying down and I I said, okay, there's very little that I can do, obviously, but I'm going to try to do it. Uh, Fortunately, my arms and and shoulders were fine. So I started with a lot of uh, movement and soft stretching with what was okay, shoulders, arms, neck, after a while. 
and um, and that's it really happened from there you know really from the floor and uh, it's hard to describe but it's really like being born again you know mm. like in the beginning there's nothing but just the feeling of being on your back relaxing with my music and on my own and outside of a medical context already felt like healing and I think it was mm -hmm. and then slowly with the bones consolidating I had other surgeries later on but I could feel you know gaining a little bit more weight and uh, but it happened really over years mm -hmm. not weeks or months it was really years because then you have other surgeries so it's really feeling more comfortable if I if I have to sum it up more and more comfortable on the floor Mm -hmm. And then after a long time, standing with support, so hanging from whatever there is, a bar, a ring, and using support, lots of support to relieve the weight on the legs, and then without the support, and then moving around on my legs. It sounds like it was this kind of um, like tinkering practice, like, uh, you know, this word kind of like uh, trial and error. Mm -hmm. just kind of playing a little bit and just like yes. flirting and seeing where you could go constantly and and constantly. kind of without without a therapist necessarily just you just being like i'm gonna i'm gonna explore and just kind constantly. of blaze yes, trails was, uh, this, it's a good word i'm gonna reuse it uh, mm -hmm. because it was only this mm -hmm. four years then with uh you know subtleties and and variations and changes and but it was constantly listening what's there what's possible today mm -hmm. what can i do i do it without pain without feeling depressed yeah you know uh, because you know when you face the limitation too often and you know very frontal way then the the mind also gets uh, very tense and it becomes more difficult so it was also healing my own mind and stay within what i could actually do mm -hmm. not so easy um, and yeah, just listening, listening, and then all of a sudden there's a new sound and a new mm. possibility, even if very small. Okay, I use it, I go for it, etc. You know, there's a, such a powerful message in there and what you just said, where you said um, something about focusing on what you could do instead of what you couldn't do. Mm. And I mean, as somebody who teaches, you know, it's just like, that's such this hurdle. And I would say it's a really large hurdle in probably the Western world. People yeah. just get cut, really caught up on what they can't do mm. rather than, as I always say, like celebrating what they can, you know? Yes, yes. And when you've been, it's something that I say <laughs> a lot now in my classes, you know, sometimes we start, we are just standing, you know, standing practice, uh, very soft and just listening. And I sometimes I remind my students, this is already a miracle. You know, I'm not, not saying this as a like woo-woo, I, I've been there. I've been wishing for years that I could stand pain-free, you know, happily relaxed and just feeling my body and my breath. So remind yourself to enjoy it as well. And sometimes you can even enjoy much more complex things, dancing, moving around in whatever way. And mm -hmm. it's very important to use it as a, I think, as a, as a way to heal ourselves. I can do this. This, this is what I own in a way. This mm -hmm. is my my playground so let's let's have you know let's love it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's the, it's this, uh, like almost the idea that the bigger or the the fancier isn't necessarily better it's mm -hmm. just it's just other things mm -hmm. right like 
right now in like the in the standing like it yes for, for sure it's um i mean i do and i do understand uh, because i have it as well the will to expand you know the vocabulary the possibilities obviously yes it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's it's also very it's a learning process that has many beauties but um i for example when i was in a wheelchair since my arm didn't have any fracture um i spent a lot of time just moving the arms and the shoulders and i have very good memories short because then i had to go back to my hospital bed and blah 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 and the shit and the depression but i still have very good memories of just putting my music on five music and saying okay i'm going to focus um on what I have and the precision and the, the, the awareness that you can bring to even so-called small or simple gestures can be just as strong and powerful as what you can bring to more complex uh, things in terms of movement. And I really know, it's not that I think, it's that I know that the healing comes from there, from the awareness, the quality, not the quantity ever so this is why i'm very happy because now i can practice until my death mm -hmm. even when i'm 100 years old i know i will find stuff to do because i've been 100 years old five years ago you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a great way to put it right mm. yeah you know you, you you know you know what what these things can feel like mm -hmm. and what to explore and mm -hmm. i know that there's always a way even when i can only sit or be spend most of my time in a bed there is still a way. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of finding it. Mm -hmm. and, and celebrating those things as much as you celebrate the, all, all the things. Yes. And I, I, I don't know celebrating because maybe this is a bit too strong when you're strongly injured, mm -hmm. but at least enjoying, mm -hmm. finding the pleasure mm -hmm. somehow. And this, this was also the line, you know, mm -hmm. the where's the pleasure? And when you are lying down and all of a sudden you don't have the pain of standing if you're injured, for example, there is a lot of pleasure in there. Mm -hmm. And pleasure is healing. I, mm -hmm. I strongly believe in, in, in this, that mm -hmm. um, what's pleasurable is going to heal and is going to be sustainable as well. So yeah, looking for, and I think it's nice to look for pleasure mm -hmm. better than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what were... At one point, did you decide, oh, maybe I'm going to, you know, start exploring other realms of, of movement outside of yoga and maybe some of the things you had explored through your tinkering? Yes. Um, I think, um, you know, I spent, I always say that, but it's true. I, I spent a lot of time on Instagram on my bed mm -hmm. uh, because I was bored, you know, like hell. <laughs> that in a hospital, in a rehab center, there's nothing, literally nothing you can do except than going to rehab and eating very bad food. So just like anyone else, I had my cell phone and I was asking myself questions, you know, the kind of questions like, okay, what am I fucking going to do now? You know, like, am I going to be able to teach yoga, to just practice? What, what's going to be my life like? So I started the research and I found so many beautiful things i mean on instagram there's just as much crap as quality stuff and people sharing amazing content ideas 
movement, images, inspiring stuff. So I started finding, obviously, Ido Portal and his students, uh, all that realm. Uh, more people like, um, you know, moving on the floor, uh, floor practices, um, dancers. Uh, and, you know, every time I was seeing this, it was just like making me want to get there somehow to to explore and to be alive through movement in general so slowly little by little i started to give up not give up but it's really yeah open new doors you know it's uh the door the yoga door was half closed so after a while i don't know some of the doors opened and especially through the, the medium of uh social media and uh learning reading and i saved all the stuff that i liked and mm. i have to this day a huge library with classified and all the things and then i tried and anything that made me feel better okay i explored and i looked for more and uh, and researched like that it was really a big big research mm-hmm. and, th- and when did you start or was there ever a point where you started reaching out to any of these people or anything Yes, I reached out to, uh, the first time I did, I reached out to um, Tom uh, Mountjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Instagram is uh, Primal, Primal Movers. Uh, I don't know if you've seen him. It's a big guy with a huge uh, Norwegian, actually he's from New Zealand, but he lives in uh, Norway. Uh, big bird, uh, beard. How do you say bird, bird, beard? Oh, know. beard, yeah. <laughs> beard, <laughs> big beard like this. And... Uh, he lived in the middle of, uh, he lives still close to the forest in Norway. And he had like very soft standing practices. And I, I got, you know, very uh, impressed by him, but he has a super strong body, like the typical strong guy, you know, huge legs and anything you want. But the practice is very, very, most of the time soft and slow. And you can feel the connection to nature and all that. And the energy flowing very seemingly simple so i sent him a message and i said listen here's the deal i had an accident i went through this and that injuries um can i come visit and let's practice together i don't know and he said he teaches as well but he said i don't have that much experience with injuries that are you know as bad as what you went through but come and we try something you know so i went there for two weeks or 10 days and we did practice these standing meditations in nature. We went also into uh, the cold water. I mean, for him, it's not cold, but for me, it's cold (laughs) now in in August. Um, And just, it was the start of, okay, understanding that new paths were open to me through people like him and just connection, exploration. He really well adapted the practice to my abilities at the time. And... I healed, I just healed, you know, I was better two weeks after than two weeks before. And, um, and after there were more workshops, you know, like Shai, Shai Faran uh, from Ido Portal's team as well. Uh, but Tom was really the first step that I took saying, okay, I want to visit this guy, practice with him and let's see, this is not yoga. It's nothing that I've done before, but let's be close to the teacher and see what happens. Wow. So do you, do you stay in touch with him now? Yeah, we write each other uh, once in a while. I follow him on Instagram and 
I mean, we know each other. We haven't been, you know, lately able to travel mm -hmm. uh, as much as we would like to. And he, because usually he travels way more than when he does now. But um, yeah, yeah, we are, we are in touch. Nice. Wow. And then at some point, did you, you, you felt inspired to, to share and teach the stuff that you were learning as well? Since yeah, I guess so because yoga was not going to be what it mm -hmm. was to you. Yeah, it took a long time, though. So my accident was six years ago, and I started really teaching again, I would say, a year and a half ago. So mm -hmm. it took me close to five years, between four and five years, to, first of all, feel physically ready, mm -hmm. uh, and then mentally also ready, like, to have the sensation that I had processed uh, all the info and all the... Um, yeah, the learnings, the research uh, through my body um, before sharing it uh, with my student. And I, I have to say, I also spent a lot of time because I mentioned Tom, but I should also mention my friend Tony um, Kutsoyanis, which uh, is a great Greek guy teaching mm -hmm. in Athens. And he's from, uh, he's uh, teach, uh, learning from Ido Portal. He has mm -hmm. a past as a water polo player. He's mm -hmm. an excellent swimmer, water person like me. And I learned a lot of Ido's um, methods and way of, uh, you know, teaching and practicing through him as well in the last uh, four years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, so in, who were like the people then that, that you connected with or gathered around you to start when you started teaching, you know, cause I, you I, know, it had been quite a long time. Yes, exactly. So after these four years, um, I still had some of my past yoga students that were following my story through social media. So I know these were still, you know, listening to what I was sharing. And, and what I did was that it was during a, one of the lockdowns here in France. And I started online classes, mm -hmm. like a little bit of a test, you know, like, okay, let's, let's see. And I gave, I don't know, 10, 15 classes and it worked well because some of my past yoga students were like, oh, let's see what she's teaching now, you know, kind of thing. And also new people had been following me on, uh, on Instagram and I think they wanted to try it. Um, and I gathered quite a nice group and they were coming uh, over and over to the, to the classes. So that's how it started. And then at some point we were able to be out of lockdown and I started teaching outside and the same, more or less the same people started the group, the outside group. And now we are growing from there. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. It's uh, it's really, it's beautiful, honestly. And I, I'm really grateful for these people, the curiosity they had, because, you know, right now in France, I know you spoke with Alain. Mm -hmm. um, there's not so many people that teach these kind of things and that have this, I don't know, open mind towards a movement practice. So I'm super grateful to have uh, these, uh, these students around me. Yeah. And I mean, the, I don't know. Do you, do you have a lot of people who reach out to you, I guess, who have followed your story online, who have also kind of gone through something yes. similar in some ways and, and even just to, to have a resource to connect yes. with? Yes. I have this quite, quite often, quite regularly. I have people reaching out and I can tell sometimes it's most of the time it's actually, and I understand because I've been there, it's like mental support. Mm -hmm. Like, tell me you've been there and now you're feeling fine. And that's what I tell them <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's true. And I know how much you need to hear it uh, when you have, you know, 
serious, very serious injuries. Most of the time they don't have as many fractures I, as I had. So it's great because I can even tell them, you know, listen, here's what I had and I'm, I'm running around. So <laughs> it's going to take a long time. Yes, you have to be patient for sure. It's not a matter of weeks or months, but it will happen if you, you know, trust the healing energy that's in there. And also if you nurture it with the right people, practices, environments. But I do have, uh, and also I, I help. So that's the mental aspect, but I also have some physical practices that I share mm-hmm. when I get asked. Mm-hmm. Um, with injured people in, in terms of their recovery and rehab uh, process. It, I realize it's like we have, we humans and the human body, but when I say the body, I mean the whole thing, brain, body, everything, <clears throat> has this almost miraculous way to heal. And it seems like sometimes we get in the way of the healing with some of like the, the therapeutic ideas, mm. right? Like it, you know, we think we know better than it's billions of years of evolution that's brought it to like what it can do. Mm. Um, I thought about this when I read this book, um, um, what is it? The, the, the brain that, the brain that changes itself or the brain mm. that you know, Norman Doidge. Yes. <clears throat> and he talked about the guy who had had the stroke and he was an older man and he'd been a climber. He has a stroke. He goes into kind of the, the traditional therapy setting and he hits what they decide is like the ceiling and they send him home and he still has a, a lot of limitations, but they're like, they kind of said, well, this is about as far as he's going to get. But his son looked at him and said, well, he's just kind of moving like a child. So he did a little bit of what I heard, heard you describing. He just said, well, I just put him on the floor. Absolutely. And I put, and he said, he put knee pads on him and took him out into the garden and they started playing around and kind of rebuilt from there. And fast forward, he got to a place where he could rock climb again and he was climbing and doing all these things. And then many years later, he, he passed away and they donated his brain so that it could be researched only to find out that the part of his brain that had died during the, um, the stroke was never healed, but the rest of his brain picked up where it couldn't do the work anymore. Yes. And, you know, that's when I think about when I think about this miraculous way of healing, you know, healing isn't synonymous with fixing, I guess, is what I'm also kind of getting to. Absolutely. It's a very good way to put it. Um, There's not much we can actually fix. I mean, thank God we have the surgeons and that's what they do. They fix, you know, when the bone is in two or three or more parts, yeah, I'm very thankful that they are there with their knives and doing the hard fixing stuff first step. Mm-hmm. So that's fixing and it helped me stay alive. So it's great. But mm-hmm. then, and after that, it's healing. And that's, you know, some, some, at some point I heard someone tell me, I don't remember who actually, but it's, it really impacted me that um, you're going to heal whether you want it or not, because that's what you're made for. It's life. You know, uh, we are alive, so we heal. This, there's no way around it. That's, that's our essence. Mm. And, and it's very powerful because, yeah, there's, I can nurture that. I can be in a disposition somehow, feel the flow. But beyond that, I'm not sure there's so much uh, therapy techniques, 
uh, stuff, uh, add-ons that we can play with. Um, you know, we all know what it is. It's sleep, good food, good people around us, and a, a peaceful environment to not be too stressed. But we all know that as simple, seemingly simple as it uh, can be. And then the healing is just because we are animals mm -hmm. or, or uh, living beings. So we are made to heal. To heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it, 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 and then like I said, it's like sometimes we get, we get in the way of that healing. Yeah, right? because we- like it, because, because, it, because it'll heal us into, into different places if we, if we don't create the opportunities for, I don't know, the, 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 I don't want to say the real healing, but the, the, the big healing. Yes. And it's something that I see and I've seen it myself as well. And I hear or read a lot of uh, in the people that reach out to me that are in the first stages, first months of uh, being severely injured is that they are, it's like they are looking for the miracle technique or the miracle person or doctor or strategy. And sometimes I feel bad, but most of the time I just tell them, you know, I understand, uh, but really uh, sleep, food, nice people around you, etc. And then it will, life will take care of itself, believe it or not, mm -hmm. it will happen. So move as something that is pleasurable, do things that you like, put the music that you love, uh, have a nice uh, food afterwards, day after day and give it time, give mm -hmm. it time. That's also very, very important because we all want things to happen fast. You know, mm -hmm. when you blow out an E, like, I don't know, if you have a cold, you can be sick for two weeks. So mm -hmm. how can you expect a blown out joint to heal in two months? It mm -hmm. has to be more, mm -hmm. but it can happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got to take uh, a number of the Fighting Monkey online classes. And at one point, Joseph said something something like it was so simple but it was just we need to dance more we all need to be dancing more and when i hear you talking about this like i keep kind of hearing that in the back of my head a little bit it's just kind of like you know you said like turn on the music and just whatever it is you know mm -hmm. that's that dancing yeah. it's just like oh like just feel okay just dancing however you dance or however you yes. can dance like you know that's that's all it really is Absolutely. And I, I really like Joseph's stories and the way he explains and like, I don't know, makes the practice alive also with words. I think he's very good at it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I followed some of his classes and I found, found them so nurturing and powerful in, in many ways. And uh, yeah, it's very like organic animal kind of approach that I really, really appreciate and find so Yes, yeah, so nurturing. So um, yes, the um, this simple coming back to rhythm, um, bouncing if we can, like connection, inner connection, inner listening um, is, is is vital. Uh, but most of us we are cut, literally cut from it mm -hmm. because of our lifestyles and. The, yeah, the way we we sit and we are with the screens, I think this is uh, this is cutting us from. Uh, but also, there's a problem in I don't know about other countries, but in France, that we have an educational issue with this. Like, 
talking about sports and the competition immediately, like when do we teach the kids to be in their body? At what point do we do this? And is there anything more important really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm, I mean, I've brought this up before, but I mean, it's, it's always worth pointing out again um, because I also read about it with, uh, or watched the, the, the film King Richard, which is about the, the Williams sisters and how the dad didn't let them compete until into their mid and late teens. But um, when I watched that, I thought a lot about this story about Norway and how they don't allow children to compete until, I don't know, forget what it is, 13 or something. Mm-hmm. And that anything before that is basically free play. So if it's soccer, it's just a soccer ball. There's no, <laughs> there's no teams, yes. there's no competition, there's no score. And same with skiing or pick the sport. It's just you show up and everybody gets to just mess around with whatever that thing is. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And Amazing. that's kind of like getting in your body. That's yes. where it happens. Exactly. That's how it should be. And um, the playing, uh, the exploring, and also the self-loving. I don't know. I have a niece. She's uh, nine years old now. And I really try, you know, when we are together to, I want her to have this tool to love herself. You know, like to listen to herself, not only the mind, but also the body, the, the sensations. There's so much we can know. It's infinite, you know. Um, and, and I really try through, yeah, through play, but also through, you know, telling her, like, the sensations that you have, they are, they are beautiful, you know, listen to them. Uh, mm-hmm. Take them in and enjoy them. Sometimes they are pleasant, sometimes a bit less. What do we do? Can we? And and yeah, it's a it's a tool for uh, for joy, for strength, for uh, survival, going through life. It's uh, it's so amazing. But who is going to teach this to her? Well, as, as, again, it's almost like uh, we want to like act like we know more in you know the last few hundred years or whatever than what we've evolved to. You know, I was hanging out with my two-year-old nephew and. I don't know. I just like got on the ground with him and we banged sticks around and we like, you know, tossed balls to each other and danced and like made noises and things. Cause he can't talk. We weren't talking, but we were communicating in, in a big way. We knew what each other was thinking and we're banging sticks and on PVC pipes and just like moving and grooving and everything. But like all that to say, I wasn't doing it just because I thought he would have fun with it. I was also having a lot of fun with it because it was fun to do those things. And then it was also fun to do them with him. And I think that people kind of think that the feelings of joy or exuberance or pleasure are these like, you know, you need expensive things and fancy things. But I actually think that 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 thing is very, very similar for most people. Like the distance between your joy and my joy is not that far (laughs) apart. And it's something very similar to like what he's doing and experiencing, but we just kind of get in our own way with it and and think it's supposed to be something else or subscribe to something else or have been kind of indoctrinated into something else. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. agree. Yes, I agree. And I think uh, it made me, when I was listening to what you were saying, made me think of uh, also the, I think the missing link and what can remind people this sometimes is nature because mm. if you put anyone on a on a beach walking barefoot uh most of us we will reconnect 
instantly to that pleasure, uh, self-listening only through the sensations, maybe the noise. Ah, <gasps> oh, wow, so nice to walk on the beach, right? And to me, this is very close to starting to do some movements and being you know, inside, outside the environment, uh, just the feelings of uh, the water, whatever it is. And, um, and it's funny that most people can, I think, relate to the bare foot on the sand and maybe not so much to playing around for an hour on the floor with the two years old. <laughs> but mm-hmm. to me as well, there's a connection there. Well, because they're both these like rich sensory experiences. You know, mm-hmm. so much kind of comes alive, like in the nervous system, especially with a nephew where you're like, there's so little talking words, which is like yeah. a fraction of what's happening when we communicate. But it's like eyes, ears, you know, like you're smelling things and you're feeling the ground. It's just like, you know, it's that that kind of all at onceness of being a human. And it's the mm-hmm. same as walking on a beach where it's like the sun and the air and like the smell of the ocean. Like, it, and I don't know, it's... A, when you say it and I think about it, it's like a, it's, it's anything that asks our senses to all kind of come alive and participate, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that's what I think about when I challenge the idea of always practicing or something in, in a gym where the light is the same, this, you know, the, the temperature is always the same. The floor is always, a, a, it's like, we're not getting that whole, that whole thing. Yeah. I think what, what you're mentioning here is also creativity. Mm-hmm. And the ability, and when I say that, I mean it in a very simple way, basic way of, okay, deciding what am I going to do with this body? And sometimes even if I'm walking on the beach and it's a simple stretch, mm-hmm. I'm already being creative. No one's mm-hmm. telling me how to stretch. You know, I'm just deciding, okay, let's try this. Oh, it feels good. Okay, I'll try a little bit on the side. You know, and I think this is also very nurturing and it's, so um, I don't know. It reconnects us to the to the child, to the the freedom as well. Because mm-hmm. when I decide to move, I move exactly the way I want to. Okay, I've seen stuff. There's my past, some preconceived ideas for sure. But still, it's a decision that I make in the presence of stretching, moving, whatever, jumping, and um, and the kids have this, you know, this present decision. Okay, I adapt. I decide I do it with my body now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's the beauty of, uh, of the freedom that we have, you know, I, we should cherish it. And we have it even uh, when we are, I had, I was on a wheelchair, I still had it, you know, maybe less options, mm-hmm. but still the freedom to decide what am I going to do? Am I going to, just follow the exercises from the physio or is there a way where I really want to stretch, move? That's, uh, you know, one uh, just reminded me of this John Wen, you know him, maybe the uh, teacher as well, uh, excellent. And he said, don't, don't, um, don't think of, lo- of moving like, I think it's him, moving like me or like him or her. Try to find how to move like yourself. And this is so true, I think, you know, like, how do I move, really? Mm -hmm. And unless I do it, unless I experiment it, unless I search for it and and find pleasure in it, I'm not sure how I move, you know? And I want to spend time exploring the way I move before wanting to move like this or that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and... I look I look around and there's a lot of kind of like trying to move like there's a lot there's a lot of that that goes on and you know I, I think that it it can open the doors and and you know lead to places and inspire new ideas you know I've definitely been in those positions but I'm 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 more in your camp where it's like the how how do I move how do I respond and that to me always leads to that exploration of like creativity of adaptability right you know how do I have like a a cooperative body you know individually and then with all the things that I can be cooperative with like that's that's to me like the meat and potatoes and that's going to be so different and nuanced to everybody based on their experiences and their, you know, where they're coming from in all aspects. Absolutely. And that's, it's also what's um, sustainable. I'm, I'm very much obsessed maybe because of what I've been through and knowing that things can change in a minute, but they will change because we will get older anyway. Mm -hmm. So best mm -hmm. case scenario, they will change slowly and over the years, but they will change. And I think when you have this point of view from the beginning of I move like myself today, I find options from there. Even if I want to, you know, I get inspired, of course, there's this technique, method, obviously, and for myself as well, you know, and I try things and I, I, um, I go out of my boundaries, but always like, like bathing in this moving like myself uh, kind of uh, sea, you know, and that's what allows me to trust that I can do the same in 10 years, 20 years, maybe 50 years from now. And I want that, you know, because mm -hmm. I'd be so scared to think, okay, I've been doing these roles and whatever, but what, what when I cannot do them anymore? Mm -hmm. I, I do nothing. Right. I mean, it's like, if I am, if I've invested so much, for instance, in a, like a one-arm chin-up or something, and I'm so dependent on that one move to accomplish certain things, what happened? Because that's not going to be there forever. Right. But my creativity will be right. I think that's kind of what we're saying, right? It's like, Oh, yeah. like the, your 500 pound back squat or something won't be there forever, yeah. but your ability to adapt and be cooperative won't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you can... nourish those things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a skill. So just like any skill, it can grow stronger, um, more refined, um, the creativity and the, the ability to readapt, readjust, reinvent. Mm -hmm. It's a skill, just mm -hmm. like the one arm chin up or anything, one mm -hmm. arm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, uh, so, I'm so curious, like, um, I don't know, because you come from this, I don't know, f academic and philosoph philosophical background, I assume, you know, you had like some I don't know, philosophical component or, or, or a message when you were teaching yoga and what you kind of wish to share for people. Um, and I'm curious maybe how that's changed or, or you know, what it is that you wish to share now that maybe is the same or different from what it was then. It's interesting that you ask this because... Um... <laughs> Okay, uh, when I was studying philosophy, um, my focus was in, um, you know, philosopher from France, Europe, mm -hmm. and mostly um, people from the 80s, like Michel Foucault. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know if you know these names. Uh, so Spinoza as well. Mm. So these are people where that puts, you know, so it's always been there. The body, the, the flesh, uh, the experience, the direct experience uh, in the world was very, very at the front row of their thinking. And mm. uh, it was very uh, incarnate, incarnated. I don't know how to say, like uh, physical almost, uh, their, their philosophy and their way of, uh, of writing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always been there in the background. And then when I went into yoga, the same philosophers were there. So I never, I've read, you know, the books, uh, the main ones that you've mentioned, but the inspiration for me was still the same from before. So it was still the experience, for example, of joy in Spinoza, mm-hmm. the link between freedom and joy. So it's always be this, um, this way of living, inhabiting the world with mm. our bodies, with our sensations, with the mind, but also with the experience, experiment, experiment. So for me, the, the, the philosophy, the Indian philosophy, the yoga, classical yoga philosophy is, is, um, is not present in the sense that it's not where I teach from. Mm. And maybe I should be ashamed of saying this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, it's another, it's another philosophy. It's, it's closer to my cultural ground and, um, and, you know, my, just my personal roots, um, European, um, but I have a lot of respect for the teachers that know much better than I do. My teacher was one of these, uh, the Indian classical yoga philosophy, um, Mm -hmm. and how they teach through it. But I think you can teach through a lot of um, thinking modes, as long as you, um, as a teacher, as it's your experience for a long time, meaning years, that's where I was teaching from. Mm -hmm. Then some students might like it, some students might not like it, uh, but it was what it was, you know? And to this day, these these people and uh, yeah, Michel Foucault, Merleau-Ponty as well, uh, people who have talked a lot about nature, sensations, and uh, and the feeling of joy, and all this relates, yes, to our personal freedom, freedom in society, um, and really always have put the body in uh, in the front row. Um, they they nurture and they nourish uh, my teachings and uh, my life as well. Mm-hmm. So that's it's it's them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it, it, it hasn't, it, it's been, it's been like the same framework, just yes. kind of placed on, a, onto a different um, vehicle. Absolutely. Always, always the same. Uh, since I studied there at my, I was, uh, even in high school, I started getting into these books. I was 17, philosophy class. And then the years after I went deeper into them, but it was always the same framework for me. Uh, mm-hmm the importance of language. That's why I really like also uh, Joseph and uh, Fighting Monkeys, the way he uses words and the way our, our language is our world and the, you know, the, the boundaries are, of the words are the boundaries of what we experience. You know, I, I was really interested in language as well. Mm-hmm. So, but all this is very, yes, it's very European. It's very, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, Culturally, it's where I, I feel close and, mm-hmm. uh, to, the, to the writers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you bring up uh, Spinoza because when I was in Paris, we met up with um, 
a family friend, my wife or an old friend of hers lives there and is married to someone from, from Paris. And we were sitting down chatting and we were having, you know, one of these types of conversations. And he started talking about Spinoza and, you know, was bringing out a book and sharing with me, but I had never, I had never read any of his stuff. And now uh, after hearing you mention the name, you know, I feel like I need a, I need a deep dive now. Yes, it's uh, for me. It's uh, so you can either read Spinoza directly, or you have also people in France. We have uh, Gilles Deleuze, um, Deleuze and Guattari. Sometimes in the movement circles, you hear these names. I think Ido made a post once where they were mentioned that kind of reread Spinoza, and he gave classes that are quite famous. Uh, I think in the seventies at uh, La Sorbonne in mm-hmm. France, like rereading and making Spinoza so alive and mm-hmm. so modern. Uh, about relationships and uh, connections and yeah like reinventing not reinventing but sometimes yeah bringing back to life and to because that's what philosophy is right it's like it's it's a text that was written so such a long time ago but it's like movement when you inhabit it then it becomes the same and something else at the same time because it goes through your body through your mind which Mm -hmm. is your body anyway because it's your brain so and so Deleuze made uh, amazing classes that are, you can find them online, either as audio or written. And they are, to me, they are mind-blowing really about freedom. And Yeah, I mean, the guy I was talking to, he was, uh, he was such a big fan. I think he was, a, he was a little um, disappointed that I had never read any of him. But <laughs> I realized I've, I, <clears throat> I don't know how much, I think there's plenty of Western philosophy that I've enjoyed but i always kind of find myself drawn a little more to eastern philosophy mm-hmm. um for reasons i don't really know but uh yeah that that's almost more where my taste lies but yeah. i appreciate i appreciate western philosophy too i think yes i think in the world of uh, that's how i saw it when i was studying maybe more in a hard way the, the books and stuff it's a it's a gigantic map just like in movement right you, we have to find our spot mm-hmm. it can change you can evolve over time uh, through life, but I think we all have a, an area where we feel more comfortable and more ourselves and mm-hmm. more like, um, I don't know, growing. Um, so, and it depends. Some people, yeah, I had uh, classmates who were drawn to, I don't know, philosopher completely different from minds, uh, topics different as well, and uh, periods of time very different. And they, that's where they felt at home, right? And mm-hmm. you need to find your home somewhere and, and from that home you can you know grow the garden and yeah. make it bigger <laughs> yeah but it's still the home is still more or less on the same spot do you do you feel like um i don't know the time you spent studying these types of things academically and then i guess of course there's you know the role of like your family and parents and things but do you think that that stuff played like a, a significant role in in how you built your values i guess <laughs> it's a big question. Um, I, I say I want to say yes, mm-hmm. uh, but it, we have to define. And this this is, this is a philosophical class. The philosophy class coming back. We have to define values <laughs> mm-hmm. so that I can reply properly. But um, I think there are guidelines uh, for me, and there it's like these people. I am sure. I don't know, I I am sure I would have liked the way they live their lives Mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, so I, and if they they have expressed better than I could ever do, Mm -hmm. 
stuff that I feel even today, centuries after or decades after. Mm-hmm. So they are like more brilliant guidelines for myself now. So I don't know if it's values because behind the word values, at least in French, there's a lot of moral mm-hmm. uh, connotation, mm-hmm. uh, but they're more like guidelines, uh, inventions, lights, mm-hmm. um, creativity um, uh, roots or fires mm-hmm. mm, and it's nourishment mm-hmm. nourishment a little bit like with music or with uh, when a teacher brings this fire back in you you know like oh you recognize yourself in a way right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read this man I could have never done re- like such writing but that's exactly what I meant right and this is this is the beauty of it. And sometimes it's been written by an old guy 200 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's what I meant. Exactly. Right. Is right. Yeah. I recognize it. Right. So, There's a familiarity. Exactly. Yes. And, it, and it's really what people mean, I think, when they say you get to know yourself also through the books and the writings is that I, you, you realize that that's what you think. Mm-hmm. you know and it doesn't mean that you think just like he does or she does mm-hmm. it's like you kind of bring to life what uh, the ideas that was were in the mud or sensations down under and all of a sudden they become clear because someone else has put the words the right words on it that was just thinking that i was just thinking it's like you have it's almost like you have like a like a truth swimming inside of you and like you know what matters and when it happens, you can feel it, but you, you read enough and you land on the moments where someone was able to articulate it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, now I, now I know how to say that. Yes. Because I had, I, I, I had a sense of a truth in me yes. and now someone has been able to, you know, put it in a way, but then there's other truths that, you know, maybe you have that feeling too, or <laughs> you haven't like found the person who can articulate mm-hmm. it yet. And it's like, yeah. that's you almost like lean to art or something because it's like, oh, well, that's the, that's the place where maybe that kind of thing is articulated. Yeah. Uh, art, poetry. Um, yes. And, but this is why as well to, to, to reply a little bit to what you were saying, words, and also as a teacher, uh, words are so important because they are keys to open new doors. And even when you communicate, uh, and I found it really amazing to students or giving a cue, like how to find a way so that they recognize what I'm trying to say really physically almost in, the, in their body. And sometimes you try to explain in a certain way and then you use a metaphor or an image and then something happens that is different. And it was already in the body of the person because mm-hmm. it's their capacity that is there at the time. But it went out or, the, or it happened because of the use of language sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's, um, it's amazing. And it's, it's the same with ideas, you know, language is so powerful and it's so important and central that um, all of a sudden, yeah, there is this recognition. Oh, this is who I am. And this mm-hmm. is how I move or what I can, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's helpful to hear because I feel like uh... I often end up landing on this other side where I'm like, so I'm, I'm critical of the constant use of words, but it's nice to hear the way you're putting it because it's making me 
you know, be reminded of how valuable the words and the language are. Because like I said, I lean into this place where it's like, oh, we need, we talk too much. There should be more the, the, I don't know, the, the value of like the, of the nonverbal communication that's happening because there's so much of it. But um, yeah, I don't know, hearing you talk, I feel super inspired by like, by the language and what that can do to, to, to almost facilitate the nonverbal. Yes, exactly. I think they go hand in hand um, mm-hmm. as, as usual. Uh, but uh, I remember once that there was this um, a dance teacher that gave us a series of uh, words. So it's going to be difficult for me in English, but they were synonyms, mm-hmm. uh, jumping, bouncing, etc etc but then the synonyms became you know finer and and more precise and a little bit different with all the nuances that i'm not going to be able to bring back in in in, (laughs) not in french Mm -hmm. but you you know like for jumping you can find 20 words Mm -hmm. and how do you express this with your body and you will see differences Mm. They, they exist they're there you can find them and almost immediately actually and just because the, the vocabulary is poor and sometimes it's just going to be jump, but it can be also something else. Jump, mm. but, but bounce, but I don't know, riddle, I don't know what words, mm. um, shake or, and, the, and then something else will, will happen or you will find another way or another path or the skin will feel different. Almost mm. the bones, the skeleton mm. will resonate differently with the word. And uh, so it's, it can be powerful. It can be a path to creativity as well. Yeah, it's like um, uh, I'm such a big fan of that the book, um, uh, the Inner Game of Tennis, where he talks so much about like our thinking brain. We should use it as like a director of awareness and not necessarily always the driver, oh. essentially. And you know, when I think of language and words, it's like closer to that kind of like thinking brain part. And when you're saying this again, I'm still I'm thinking like, oh, it's the words are are being used as like directors of awareness, you know, yes. and, yes. and our awareness takes us into different avenues and different places. And the words are, are facilitating that not necessarily driving the car. Mm-hmm. It's a very good, uh, very good metaphor. I think it's exactly that. And uh, I haven't done it yet, but I, I want to take uh, classes of, uh, and I know Tiago does that uh, Gaga uh, yeah. uh, dancing. And I'm sure because I've, I've seen some videos and, that the way they, the, these teachers use words and language to kind of um, make things, uh, yeah, come, come up to, uh, through the bodies of the dancers, which are not professional dancers most of the time, and to open doors through mm-hmm. words with them, not for them, but with them. Um, it's very similar to what you were saying, you know, not the director versus... Mm-hmm. Right, they, they're not the... I don't know. They're not, they're, they're not like the lead of the show. They're right. just kind of like, they're almost like putting the spotlight down. Yeah, I was going to use the light metaphor. Yeah, just, just bringing some light into what you can, what you can do or what you can think or what you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. You, you, you got, my, got me thinking about a lot of things now. <laughs> really, yeah. Um, I'm curious. So what, you know, what is, what does your practice look like now? I mean, after you know, you said the injury was six years ago and then it was in the last year and a half that you started teaching groups and things. And yeah, I'm curious, you know, what it looks like. And I, you know, unfortunately people will have to go to your Instagram to see, but I'm watching you here on the screen 
and my first thought is not, oh, this is somebody who was in this really debilitating accident. You know, I'm, mm. I'm looking at you and I'm like, oh, like, you know. Yes, it's, it's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so what I did, okay. Um, the fighting monkeys are, have been in the background for me slightly, softly, but constantly in the last uh, two years, I would say, with the zero forms, uh, you know, all that work mm -hmm. of the spine, the legs. And then um, to be more, I, I've had coaches in the last two years as well. Um, I worked with the Emmett Lewis team mm -hmm. on my mobility first. So that was last year. Um, you know, because I think after so many, and especially in the pelvis area, so many fractures and injuries, I had mental barriers that I felt could be overcome. Mm -hmm. And I needed something very dry and precise in a way. I wanted the... The, the, the mobility exercises, routine, let's do this, stretch, open, active, passive, all the ways to kind of twist the body. And I wanted to be in the hands of someone who was a specialist of that mm -hmm. and just do the work, you know, mm -hmm. and it worked. Uh, I have to say their, their online platform is great, uh, amazing job. And, uh, and I could feel, okay, things after a year, I could see it. Things are moving, you know, and it's not because I had uh, three pelvic fractures that I cannot uh, travel towards the side splits or front splits. And um, mentally, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. So I worked on that for a year. And now recently, I've been working um, with uh, Marcello Pazzolo, mm -hmm. uh, which is you, uh, probably you've talked about him with Alain as well. I think it's, uh, he works with him. Mm -hmm. and um and so i've just reopened it's like reopening the door to uh creativity and adaptation and changing environments it's very much opposed to what i was doing with the mobility work right like with the mm -hmm. ankle weights and inside and very uh, like closed in a way but i wanted it like a, like that and now I reopened the, the environment with Marcello and we work a lot. So I, I talked a lot about with him, you know, about my accident, obviously, and I'm really working on um, having more vers versatile legs, you know, so because I've recovered, I can walk, I can jump, I can also mm -hmm. run, but I feel like I'm, I have one mode uh, with my legs because mm -hmm. my nervous system remind, remembers, you know, what I've been through and, uh, and the pain probably and all that. So, so with him, I'm, I'm reconnecting to the cat. You know, the cat can be sleeping, but it can be chasing a mouse or it can be jumping or it can be aggressive with another cat, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how we work now. And, and I love it. It's amazing. And is, what, are your, what do your classes look like with your students now? So they are always uh, very much inspired of by my own practice. So now we work a lot of uh, basics of jumping, coordination through jumping. Uh, I, I love using the tennis balls mm -hmm. a lot, just the throwing, coordination, um, speed, reaction time. I use a lot of that because I think it's much needed for many adults. Mm -hmm. um, we have some basic strengths and conditioning, uh, a lot of using the arms and the shoulders because I have a lot of women in my classes and I want them to remember that it's not only for guys. Mm 
<laughs> and it's very powerful, you know, to see them just start hanging and using their arms and, uh, and all of the, we go train at a place uh, at the park close to my, my house where it's only guys as usual. As soon as, you know, it's above the head, it's only for guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we arrive like five or six women and then we start using it and and I love it you know why why would it be only pull-ups for for the men you know right. so we, we work on that that aspect as well um, and a lot of uh, partner you know the stuff that I never did in yoga like working two people together or three playing um, yeah interacting some fighting monkey uh, techniques as well the ball the practice ball Mm-hmm. Uh, I use that a lot. So anything that has helped me really uh, find a more healthy, happier body, I use mm-hmm. with my students. Um, and can can people, uh, anyone in in the area, drop in on your classes, or people who are visiting just come yes. and take a class? Anyone can can come and drop in. At the moment, it's really you know I'm just making the group bigger and bigger, and it's a lot of words words uh, words of mouth. Uh Yeah, word of mouth. Uh Word of mouth. And um, people can join anytime. Just shoot me a message and uh, and we play together. And what's the best way for people to contact you? Uh, Instagram. Okay. What's your your Instagram? Uh, So it's agathe, A-G-A-T-H-E dot P-H. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. I will, you know, we're, we're hoping to make it back to Europe again in the spring or the summer or some part of both. Um, and I really want to go back to Paris again. So if I do, yes, um, we're going to have to connect and also I'll, I'll, I'll come by and, and, and take your class. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy for you to come. I, I know you came. Alain told me, I don't know when it was, uh-huh. uh, but uh, yeah, it would be amazing uh, for you to come back and uh, let's see uh, if we can connect somehow. Okay. Yeah, it would be amazing. And I'm just so happy that everybody, everybody was mentioning you and that we, that we connected because this was, um, I don't know, you're, it was so, I don't know, you, I feel like you've left me a lot to like think about and reflect on. And I feel really moved by your story. I just really appreciate it. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out. You know, I think it's a, I don't know, it's a nice format. Uh, I have to say you have a gift for this because uh, in the beginning I was like, oh, oh, it's uh, I, I looked at the other, I listened to Alain a little bit and uh but the way you seem to be truly interested in people <laughs> is amazing. So it's a, it's a, it's a gift and it's a, it's nice that you are sharing this and people's stories uh, through uh, this, uh, this format. So oh, thank you. That means a lot. Well, this, I would say um, this is a part of my practice now. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I learned so much from getting to talk to everybody. I'm sure. Um, like I did a workshop in, uh, in Oakland, you know, Shira Yaziv. She owns a place called the Athletic Playground. Okay. And uh, I had had her on the podcast. And when I went and did it there, I think I had maybe done 40 or 50 podcasts at that point. And I taught my workshop there. And she was like, oh, I feel like you, you've brought everybody that you've talked to, to this workshop. Like mm-hmm. everybody is be like the, a piece of everyone is getting presented yeah. through what I, what I do. And I feel that. So I feel like, you know, apart from all the other things that I do, like getting to talk to everybody, like nourishes what I then take out to the world. For sure. You must be learning quite a lot through that. Yeah. But I mean, it's you know, the bigger thing too is just, I don't know, lots of like new friends. I don't know. Yes. There's so many people. Yeah, I was going to say, now you can go anywhere in the world and you have a bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's really the plan. <laughs> yeah, no more well Airbnb. Done. Well done. Smart. Yeah, it's a it's a long term investment. <laughs>